We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Three W's in a row, my friend. Do you know <laughs> what that is called in NBA vernacular? What do we call it? A win streak. It is called a win streak. <laughs> very good. Very good. Do you remember how that feels? It's been a while. I No. I mean, the last time the Suns won three in a row was December 15th, 17th, and 19th. And previous to that, it was when Devin, you know, obviously when Devin Booker was still playing as well in November. So it's been a while. And I think there's so many losses in a row, you know, and it's just racked up in basically from right before Christmas uh, until now. Because Devin Booker, if you remember, there was the four week reevaluation that came after Christmas, but he wasn't playing in a few games before uh, Christmas as well. So it's been so long that we've seen so many losses that I think that these three wins in a row, just back-to-back-to-back wins here, Brooklyn, Indiana, Memphis, actually, in my opinion, changed the way I even think about the rest of the season. Because if the Suns were continuing to lose games without Devin Booker, the outlook when he's back becomes more and more bleak. But... With some extra wins here, some extra victories to count towards the standings, I think you can sort of reframe the way you think about the rest of the season. Because you were being fickle. You were a Fairweather fan. It was fair to, <laughs> yeah. fair to say. No, I'm kidding. I'm well, three, imagine if these three loss, uh, three wins were three losses. Well, exactly. And the Suns, exactly. And, and so to be 21 fa- and 27 is what they would be. <laughs> to be fair to you and everyone else, they were the, I don't think they dropped to 13th, but they were at least the 12th seed. Right, they were the yeah. twelfth yeah. seed three games ago, mm-hmm. and now they're seventh, which is yeah. still a playing spot. You know, it's the best playing spot technically, but it's still a playing spot. I'd much rather be higher than that. But they're, uh, I got to look at the standings real quick. They are three games away from being in fourth, 
So there's like a five or six game difference between the fourth seed and the 12th or 13th seed in the Western Conference right now. And so, yeah, we really were at a fork in a road uh, about a week ago where we didn't know which way things were going to go. But if they wanted to save their season, if they wanted any chance of making some noise in the playoffs this year, it did feel like they needed to find a way to scrape together a few wins without Devin Booker. And, uh, And they did it. So, you know, congrats for that. And I think we can spend some time later in this episode talking about how these wins and the situation that they're now in as a result of them could change the outlook on what to do for the rest of the season. But first, let's talk about how they actually won these games, because I think that is the most fascinating part. First of all, Chris Paul and Cameron Johnson are back, and that's a big, big story. But I think we have to lead this episode talking about what we've been teasing, and that's... We have been teasing it. <laughs> it's Mika- it's Mikael Bridges. It's Mikael Bridges, and you're just seeing something out of Mikael Bridges that, I mean, I, I think there are certain points of the season where I thought it w- was impossible <laughs> for him to actually do, and that is I'll just go over a few stats for you right now, and then let's talk about how he's been playing, but two-thirds of the Suns' victories without Devin Booker have come in the last seven games. Two-thirds of the Suns' victories without Devin Booker. They have six. Four of them came in the last seven games. In those seven games, Mikael Bridges is averaging 21.7 points, 5.6 assists, and 4.7 rebounds. 21, 5, and 4. And that includes a seven-point stinker in the middle of those seven games against the Nuggets on the second game of a back-to-back I think what has happened for Mikael Bridges more than anything else is he looks healthy, but I don't want to use that health in any way to take away from what he is doing because it's not just that he's healthy. I think that's the most important factor here and probably why we're seeing him come on now instead of early on when Devin Booker was out. But what he has done, I think, as of late, is he looks like an all-star. He just looks like an all-star player. Wow, are we doing that? Are, is that? I'm not saying of, he's going to be. Is that one. part of the conversation this year? <laughs> if the Suns, how about this? If they if they do all-stars based on a seven-game streak, he is one. <laughs> if but they don't do that, if the Suns keep winning games, let's right. say Booker's out another ten games. Yes, it's a good point. Okay, let's I say, see where you're going. Let's with say this. Booker's out. I literally had not thought about this until now because I didn't think yeah. he's been good. I didn't think we were going to talk about all-star, but yeah. Let's say 10 games for now. If Mikhail does uh-huh. this for 10 more games without Booker mm-hmm. and the Suns are like, they're a playoff team, you know? If they're I mean, a fifth seed or something? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is he? You know, and they have they, zero all-stars? Is that what would happen? You know who leads? I mean, th- this should not be super surprising, but you know who leads the NBA in minutes played right now? It's Mikhail Bridges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's typically the stat that gets rewarded <laughs> for all-star games, but maybe it feels like if you wanted to throw the Suns a bone and give them a representative... But Booker, you felt, had missed too much time. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. We'll we'll see where we land on that maybe in another week or two. I don't think we're there yet. But to if, your point, let's just, I'll just say great. real quick uh, on that point. If the Suns were the fifth seed when the All-Star break comes and Mikael Bridges has been playing well, the most likely scenario is the Suns don't get picked an All-Star at that point, And then they probably get some sort of reserve All-Star pick. 
And if Devin Booker is healthy at that time, I think they'd probably just give it to Devin Booker because ultimately he's still the reason the Suns are in this race at all. No. Uh, and if for the some reason, came early on in the season, if for some reason Booker misses the All Star break entirely, I think it it would have to be a pretty bad report that we're going to get when he gets reevaluated for that to happen because we're talking about, I mean, that's like 15 games from now or something. Yeah. Um, but let's say theoretically he does, I think he would get the All Star appearance in his resume anyway, and then they would just pick a reserve for him at that point um maybe is that it? person could be mikhail bridges i don't know so the all-star break is what february it starts february 17th yeah it's february 17th it's a week later than the trade deadline this time so we've 12 got games we've got just the, for the record we've got the trade deadline on i don't have it in front of me i think it's either the ninth, the ninth. yeah the ninth um and then whoever gets traded yeah it, I, I think it's a good thing actually they'll get like a real chance to get acclimated to their new squads a little bit over the all-star yeah, they'll break. have a few games you know the suns play four games after or three games after the trade deadline and, and and then the all-star break they have time to practice and actually do like a mini training camp if they'd like at least with the new players to get them acclimated just as you said uh but yeah i, I all i'll say is that you, what my point was not necessarily that he can be an all-star it's just in the last seven games and as of recently that's how he's playing and in that time i think i wanted to point out this stat as well 16.7 field goal attempts per game, which is I think is an important stat for Devin Booker. 16 plus field goal attempts. It's rare for him to go one game while shooting that many field goal attempts. For him to do that uh, for an extended stretch, I think, obviously, I don't think it would have happened without these injuries. And I think, you know, as far as silver linings go, we're getting to see something out of Mikel Bridges in this stretch that I wasn't sure could happen and in a way I think it's going to benefit the Suns in the long term because the confidence if anything is something that could help him in the long term definitely agree that the confidence will help him in the long term I also think we've seen Mikael Bridges directly faced with um, just defensive schemes that he he has never been this much the center of attention before uh, essentially and 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 having to face that head on night after night right now and, and kind of battle through it even as Chris Paul is back I think he's going to continue to have to battle through it um, if Aiton misses any more games as well uh, he, he's just looked really impressive I mean honestly the thing that impresses me the most is over these seven games at least and, and largely for portions of the season as well he's been a triple threat scorer he's yeah. been a true triple threat scorer and and not only that He's increasingly using, you mentioned the 5.6 assists. Mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. also only turning the ball over 2.1 times in in these past seven games. That's a great ratio. He's increasingly using misdirection in his passing. I know you've called out some examples on Twitter. Uh -huh. um, but the way he's coming off screens, he's using that misdirection. He's easily finding shooters in the corner. Uh, he's always been an unselfish player. You know, when the defense switches... He's going to try and find the big ceiling in the post, whether that be DeAndre Ayton against the Nets. They found him. Uh, Jock Landale <laughs> actually has been pretty good in the past two games. Dario Saric, like whoever that big is, he'll try and find that big ceiling. Just a very unselfish player. And and combine that with the mid-range scoring, the rim pressure, because increasingly he's getting to the free throw line. And of course, we've known for, for like four years now that he can hit the three. Um you know, I still think there are little things that we could we could fine tune here and we could kind of pick out. But for the most part, he's been the complete package, um, and I and I think that's what makes him look like an all star. Yeah. As far as 
the triple threat scoring that you mentioned there, 48, 41, and 86 shooting splits in that time as well. I'm using the last seven games for a lot of these stats because I do think that's when he started to look healthy again for the record. And that starts with the Golden State Warriors win uh, that the Suns played seven games ago. And in those seven games, here's a stat as far as the triple threat scoring. In those seven games, Mikel is taking 7.1 pull-up 2-point field goal attempts per game. 7.1 pull-up attempts from basically from mid-range or close to the rim. And he's shooting 48% on those shots, including in the last five, he's shooting over 50%, 52%. So he's just getting hot from mid-range and you can see it in these games it's often he starts with the ball at the top of the key they're doing this sort of wing based offense at times where the 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 guy who sort of ends up with the ball starts in the corner and then comes around some dribble handoffs multiple screens and then catches the ball at the top of the key he can find ways to score off the mid-range in that way but also you've seen him do it in isolation He's just regular pick and rolls, getting guys on his hip, oftentimes looking like Devin Booker in a lot of these attempts. And I think that type of scoring where he feels confident hitting those mid-range shots is exactly what you sort of wanted from him in the past because he's tall and it's hard to block those shots without actually fouling him. So if he could find any space at all to get the right lift, it's probably going to be uh, not very contested for yep. most of his shots. And you can see that it that's working because he's, it's it's turning into really, really great assists. He's also, yeah, it's turning into great assists. I mean, that's the first point, right? You want the scoring. We've always wanted him to assert himself like in this mid-range area, but we wanted it in tandem with everything else. We wanted it to be. It has be, to be. Right, yeah. because, you know, an, an, an offensive player who is one-dimensional, who, who makes mid-range shots but isn't a threat to pass, ultimately is not a player who plays winning basketball. I think we've seen players like that on the Suns before, guys who can score 20 points per game. But if you can't create an advantage and then move the ball to exploit that advantage, because that's just one of many ways to exploit an advantage on on the on the basketball court, um, then you're really not that valuable. But McHale has found a way to exploit those advantages in terms of his playmaking, in terms of his passing. Um, but also... You know, you talk about guys are contesting him, and I think he's learning to grift just a little bit better than he <laughs> yeah, has in the yeah. past. I think he's starting to hook guys with when his arm goes up on the mid-range shot, and it's not going to get him. It's not going to get him the whistle every time. You know, he's he's certainly not getting like superstar calls right now or anything. But I think the combination of increased aggression and willingness to attack the rim, but also learning little tricks potentially from you know maybe pick those up from chris paul devin booker in the mid-range i mean we've gotten two games now in january for mikhail bridges where he's had 10 free throw attempts uh in two games that's his career high he he said it once earlier in the month and then he tied it again previously he had never had more than eight in a game uh he's getting there he's just he's he he is getting there this has been the most encouraging stretch of his career I think uh, credit to Monty Williams as well because the Suns were playing games essentially without any point guards at all. You know, Chris Paul was out. Cameron Payne was out. You know, best you have at that point is Dwayne Washington Jr. who was not a point guard. Obviously, the Suns signed Saban Lee. Two 10 days now, Saban Lee has done an excellent job playing, but 
you know, still not quite. There's a reason he's not in the NBA at this point. Now, whether or not he deserves to be after this stretch is an interesting conversation. But what Monty did in the last few games before Chris Paul came back was just start Mikael Bridges at point guard. He doubled down on the confidence that he has in Mikael Bridges and his playmaking and allowed him to really showcase it in ways that we had not seen before, you know, because the backcourt was essentially Mikael Bridges and Damian Lee. You know, that's not that Damian Lee can't really dribble credit to him for trying. And he's really trying lately Damian Lee and actually is pretty good so far. Uh, but it's nothing like what Mikael Bridges is doing because it's doubly impressive on this stretch with Mikael for him to average the 21 points, five assists and four rebounds. If you add to the fact that the defenses that he's going against are treating him like Devin Booker right now. It's not like he has another star where he's able to sort of let them attract the attention and just feast on secondary guys that are trying to guard him. No, he's he's the primary playmaker through most of this stretch until Chris Paul got back. And, uh, and he was still able to capitalize in those scenarios. And I think that's really, really impressive. You know, you talked about the points, obviously, but you mentioned the lack of turnovers. Yes, there's turnovers, 2.7 or whatever during that stretch as well. Uh, but that's not very much considering the amount he's had the ball, the amount he's shooting, the high usage rate he's been forced to have. All of that is just insanely impressive. They've even trapped him at times on in these games and he found ways including by the way the final hilarious final play in the Memphis game where he had to thread a needle in a crazy lob pass to Dario Saric who somehow for the first time in his career got a favorable <laughs> favorable call at the rim against John Morant uh, but it's just really impressive to see this kind of growth and I just want to just say on his passing you talked about using his eyes, and I think it's just important to, to point out because it's it's just a second level of passing. It's not the first and obvious pass. And I think it's actually pretty hard to get to this level of passing without being relied on as the main guy for an extended period of time. Because what he's doing is he's coming around screens and he's doing look-away passes, right? He's staring down the corner at times right. and then firing it to the wing. He's staring down the roll man who's going to the rim and then firing it to the corner, right? The way your eyes look is the way the defense will go because that's where they think the ball's going. And he's using his eyes to trick defenders and then finding guys in wide open scenarios with those passes. And that's just a secondary, that secondary level of playmaking that we've not seen from him. And really, I mean, Chris Paul does it instinctually and has done it for 15 Chris, years. Chris Paul has always done it, but he's the rare player who has always done it. And even Devin Booker, you know, didn't really do that till what, four years in? Well, <laughs> exactly. He, yeah. and, and that's what I wanted to say. I think it's a really good point from you and just emphasizing the fact that every young player, in order to become a good playmaker, they need to learn this at some point. But virtually no young player. There are very few young players who can come in, you know, some some truly gifted point guards who can come into the league and just instinctually understand how to manipulate a defense and read the game at that level. Um, so for most guys, it takes a while to figure it out. And I don't even think, you know, I don't think McHale's at the level of, of manipulating de- um, defensive schemes the way Booker does, but he is starting to, to show it in flashes. And that right there is really encouraging. I also just think about, all of the various names, because we've done this pod for five years. We've, the pod has existed as long as McHale's been in the NBA. You asked me to bring this up again. We have thrown out 
so many comparisons for Mikhail over the years. Mm-hmm. Do you remember where we started in year one? Do you remember like the very first comparisons I feel like we threw out? Was it like, I'm guessing like Andre Iguodala maybe? Andre Iguodala like was definitely Nicholas out there Batum at one maybe. point. Nicholas Batum, yeah. absolutely. One guy I think of, I think I remember J. Kyle Mann came on our pod uh, during Mikhail's rookie year. And I think we, I compared him or we compared him to Shane Battier and asked him if yeah. like Mikhail could be a Shane Battier because that's, that's kind of what the idea was at the time. He was going to be the ultimate role player who could fit into any defensive scheme. And if you, if you squeezed any offensive juice out of him, it was considered a bonus. Then I think, you know, he started to hit his threes. He started to show some playmaking f- flashes as early as his rookie season. And we started to bring up Batum for sure. But there's still, when you're talking about Nicholas Batum, there's still not a belief in that next level of scoring. One guy whose name started coming up as early as year two for Mikhail, and I think we're really actually starting to see it now, maybe for the first time, is Chris Middleton. Yeah. Because if you just look at these stats, like the stats that Mikhail has put up over the past seven games, he's 26 years old, right? Chris Middleton, as a 26 year old, it was the season before he finally broke through and made his first all-star team. And in that season, Middleton averaged 20 points, five rebounds, four assists per game. He was a triple threat scorer. He didn't turn the ball over a lot. He was the secondary playmaker for the Bucks, And it was kind of the beginning of him entering his prime that then lasted for the next five years. And right now he's coming back from a knee injury. So maybe he hasn't looked very good yet, you know, so far this season, maybe he can kind of battle out of that. I don't know, but at least for the past five years, Chris Middleton has been a three-time all-star who's, you know, who was good enough to be essentially the second or third. It depends on how you want to argue it. Best player uh, on a championship team. And I don't, I still don't know if Mikhail can get to that level. I don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the past couple of weeks, he seemed closer to it than ever before. And I thought it was just worth bringing up that comparison again because it feels like it could be actualized again. It's a good comparison. And the only time I heard it and the first time I heard it was from you for the record. So I'll give you credit for that one. And, you know, looking at Chris Middleton and his career, he, in his fifth season, which is what Mikhail is in right now, averaged 14.7 points per game and then in his sixth year is when the first time that yep. he averaged over 20 points per still game. didn't now make the all-star oh, team in that year yeah. got jumped up to 20.1 but it took one more year i think the bucks weren't good enough as a team yet yeah and the, his fifth year he was out with injuries which is something he's struggled with his whole career and struggling with right now um and something mikhail does not uh so far uh but in that he's younger i should say uh, you know, Mikael Bridges came into the league just older compared to most NBA players. So it's interesting to make that comparison. The one thing that I will mention, and the part of me almost wants to temper expectations, but I also think that when we see a standard given to us by an NBA player, they are asking us to hold them to that standard. And if we don't hold them to the, that standard, then we're sort of allowing them off the hook a little bit. So I don't want to temper expectations too much. But I do want to say that Mikel Bridges right now in this stretch is taking 16 field goal attempts per game. The highest he had in his career before this year was 10, 10.5, which is what he had last year. Now in the season, he's averaging 13.1. And it was higher even before this, but not much, right? It was like 11 field goal attempts. And in the last 
you know, 10 to 15 games, that's really when he's kicked up those attempts by a lot because of the lack of Devin Booker and the lack of Chris Paul, the lack of Cameron Payne. And I think the question is going to be when this team is healthy, how is he going to find those shots? And I think the pressure is on for him because he's still doing this incredibly efficiently. I just want to say that again, incredibly efficiently, and, you know, to be able to scale your, your overall production up so dramatically and then hold on to that efficiently uh, efficiency is really impressive, but it's up to him and it's up to Monty Williams to find ways to do that. But ultimately when you're talking about 16 field goal attempts per game, plus increasing his free throw attempts, increasing the assists that he's going to get out of the offense, you're asking essentially to reduce some plays that are eaten up by other players and I think that's going to be the interesting question for Monty Williams. Now, obviously, yeah. I think you can take some away from Chris Paul, but Chris Paul wasn't doing much. He already healthy already. He already was kind of chilling there. He was. Yeah. He's been chilling. You know, Cameron Johnson is like a. You don't have to run a single play for him for him to be effective. He's just like a freak of nature in that way. So you don't have to worry about taking any from him. You know, um, you can take some from Devin Booker. I think that's actually kind of fair. But I also think that Cameron Payne is like the next most obvious person that you should think about taking well, time from. We continue to see, at least when they were both healthy this season, that Monty does not have Mikhail lead a lot of bench lineups. He prefer, I mean, he he you know he plays so many minutes that he does it sometimes. But for the most part, uh, Mikhail plays when when Devin plays, and. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've got these bench-led lineups again when the team is fully healthy where campaign goes out there. And for better or worse, I don't necessarily mind that that this is who campaign is. He, you know, he's the guy who gives you dribble penetration off the bench, but he goes out there and yeah, he's taken 10, 15 shots and sometimes it looks really ugly and but that's who he is. It's it's not going to, you know, it, it's not going to stunt his confidence. If you put Mikhail out there in more of those lineups though and really force him to be a leader and force him to be assertive, maybe you could continue to um to see some dividends from it and drive his field goal attempts up uh ultimately though i think 16 what did you say like 16.7 16, yeah yeah almost 17 field goal attempts per game yeah i think that's pushing it i mean i you know do you I, know how many games he's had over 16 field goal attempts in his career overall I, I have that up 10 17 total okay. 10 of them are from this season okay yeah so uh, in the first 4 years of his career Seven. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think Mikhail, you know, yeah. ultimately, as, as awesome as he's been in the past couple of weeks, it still has felt like he could just be shooting more. He's still passing out of shooting opportunities. Often, you know, when he's at his most frustrating, he's finding like he'll he'll pass out of what's already a semi-open three-point opportunity or an opportunity to fake and drive and like he'll pass to like a bad shooter like josh akogi or something and you yeah. just want to yell at him and be and he's just he's doing what he was taught to do at villanova he's playing yeah. the role that he's always played he's trying to to go good to great he's trying to find a better shot but you know he he does have to be more assertive even in these situations and we've seen it's great that the suns were three and oh this week it's great that they're on a win streak it was tough to close out every single one of those three games. Like there are growing pains here as guys like Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton try and learn how to close games. And uh, it's not always going to work. There's not going to be a hundred percent success rate there. They're going to lose some close games too. They've already lost plenty of close games this year. Uh, yeah. You, you kind of learn how to do it early in the game before you learn how to do it late in the game. Ultimately, right, books, Mikhail is learning how to do it early in the game right now. <laughs> book's going to come back. Mikhail's scoring average is going to go down. It's just how it is. 
I just I hope think that though, it doesn't th- go down to the extent that it did before. I, th- I hope we can find a happy medium. I don't think he's going to take 17 shots per game, but I don't want him to go back to 10. I'd like to land somewhere in the middle of that. I just think that we are at the point where we've seen Monty Williams stagger Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And we're at the point with seeing what Mikael Bridges is doing where you can ask the question, should he be staggering Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges instead? You know, why are we treating Chris Paul like the second star at this point? Maybe we should move on to the next level, which is treating Mikael Bridges like that second star. At the very least, just to give him more opportunities because we've seen the dividends that it's paying right now. And to to take that away by playing him exclusively with Devin Booker, which, by the way, they're really amazing together, <laughs> Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges. But I think Devin Booker's at the point well, yeah. where he can kind of carry anyone, <laughs> and the bench is at the point where they kind of need someone like Mikael Bridges to help them out. The And the other reason why that's the case, though, is because Devin Booker's playing when the opposite team's star is playing. And when the opposite team's primary scorer is playing... They want Mikhail Bridges out there to guard that guy. So that's the other reason it happens. So yeah. I'm I'm totally for staggering the two of them. You also just need to have, because Mikhail can't play 48 minutes per game, you need right. to have backup options defensively. Does that mean more? Right, Josh Okogie. Does that mean more Josh Okogie minutes <laughs> yeah. to come in and be that primary defender when, when you're asking uh, more of an offensive burden uh, on Mikhail? Or does that mean that this becomes a point of emphasis as you approach the trade deadline here, which is in two weeks, is find another guy who could be that defender so that Mikhail can rise to the occasion offensively. I think it's more likely that the inverse is true, that they look for uh, a better offensive player, essentially, at the deadline. But you never know. I, I really I don't, don't know, know how I, the front office is I thinking about I have some thoughts it. on that. But... So, How about that Josh Kogi game, by the way? Awesome. <laughs> the, I mean, The Josh Kogi game, I think we can call it at this point. Yeah, so he had, tw- for anyone who missed it, right, 24 points. 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 blocks. He took 15 fucking free throws. He broke his nose. He broke his <laughs> nose. And he came back. Well, yeah. Was it the first game or the second game back? Yeah, this was the first game with his mask. First game wearing the mask. And he takes 15 free throws. He scores 24 points, uh, 4 blocks. He's so cool. I mean, he's just, he's <laughs> awesome. He's the, uh, uh, we were saying, by the way, incredible blocks. Some of them too. <laughs> we did our most recent playback stream, uh, for this game. It was yeah. on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, not that anyone really cares, I guess, but like Dan Marley hustle award or whatever, whatever the stupid thing is called that they <laughs> hand out every year at the end of the, at the end of the season, he's got that locked up. It is not even close to a competition. That is, yeah, Josh it's, it's a Kogi. I mean, the other guy, I think, Obviously, Mikael Bridges, it can, you can make the case for him every year. But the other guy is Biombo. I think, you know, DeAndre Ayton has missed the last two games with uh, he's sick. Um, and Biombo just, it's pretty crazy how he just steps up. He's not always great. Like, uh, Biombo's almost never great. <laughs> but he's always good. <laughs> and you got to give him credit for just always being good. Can't hit a free throw to save his life, though. Well, <laughs> it is crazy. Can't close games. I mean, it's it's yeah. funny because actually, so Biz has started eight games now on the season. The Suns are seven and one in those games. Mm-hmm. He has been. I'll echo your point. He's been awesome. Uh, but I forget which game it was. It wasn't. Was it the Pacers game? Yeah, I think so. They we were had sixteen rebounds and zero for three from the free throw line. Yeah. In last night's game against Memphis, he just fouled out, 
And then Jock fouled out, and then Dario fouled out, and it was kind of like... Dario had the most important play of the game. It was kind of comical, though, how they were all on like a carousel of just picking up their sixth foul. But the game before that in Indiana, Monty wanted to close with Biz. He had him in with a few minutes left, and uh, they they you know they went towards hack a Biz because he's he's shooting 30% from the free throw line. It's just not a viable strategy. You have to pull him out at that point. Poor guy. That's <laughs> rough. Make a free throw. You know, it's part of the sport. But, but yeah, I, it is you know, part of the sport. I love his defense. I love yeah. the effort. Um, yeah. But last year, I don't know what the happened. The rebounding, too, is crazy. I don't know what happened, though, because, you know, Biz has never been a good free throw shooter. No. But last season, I swore, I think he was at, like, 55 60%. For his career, I think he's at, like, 60%. Like, it's bad, but it's not horrific. Right. 30% or whatever he's at this year is he's got the yips. I don't know why. I don't know what <laughs> it's happened. It's real bad. It's really bad, yeah. Uh, Cam Johnson is back. Buried the lead there a little bit. Yeah, we didn't even bring up Cam Johnson until... We had to talk about McKay. Half an hour in. <laughs> it's like seeing Cameron Johnson back. First of all, comes back uh, and is immediately awesome. Uh, hits. I think he had like eight points in the first quarter he played uh, when he came back initially. And it was just like, oh, yeah, man, I forgot. It was Brooklyn, by the way, for the record, in the Brooklyn game. And it's just so great to see him out there and playing and moving well. First of all, the first thing I'll say about it is that he looks great, like moving around. I think there's obviously some rust that he has to knock off a little bit in these uh, first few games, much better game in Brooklyn than he had in Memphis, although he hit a really important shot in the Memphis game and end one uh, from a broken play as well. Uh, but he's moving around really well. I think whatever the Suns did to, to allow him time to fully heal, whatever he did to allow his body time to fully heal was probably the right choice because he's, he's coming back and it doesn't look like he's really slowed down at all by that. It's not just the offense. Obviously, he brings the offense when he's on. He's just so smart. I mean, he came in in the fourth quarter in the Brooklyn game and made just a bunch of really smart defensive plays back to back to back. And it's just the vibes as soon as he gets into the game, it's like, oh, Cameron Johnson's back. This is great. Yeah. I think it was really important to get Cam to a point in the injury timeline where he was coming back and not only you didn't want to impede his movement, right? You wanted to make sure he was fully healed. Um, but also you had to consider his confidence. Like he needed to have full 100% confidence in his own body um, to do those repeatable actions again. Otherwise you don't want him out there. No doubt in my mind is he at that point, like as he's played his first two games, like he came out in that Brooklyn game, he had nine free throws in 22 minutes. You know, he was attacking the basket yeah. at, at yeah. no point. I, like obviously he's taking threes too and his gravity is important and you love to have a spacing back and he hasn't necessarily made a ton of those shots yet, but I'm sure that will come. But even more important to me is the fact that he's attacking the rim and he doesn't look like he's afraid of anything happening to his knee. He just looks like a normal basketball player who, who's being aggressive. That's the best possible sign you could have. Yeah. Yeah. Offensively, I think for Cameron Johnson to be at his best, he has to feel comfortable shooting the three-point shot, obviously, with very little space at all. And then attacking the rim when he has zero space. And those are the two things that he does really well. If you take any part of that away, you're taking away what makes him great offensively. And just like you said, he came back and he looked really confident doing that right away. And that's pretty rare, I think, for guys who come back from knee injuries like that to look confident. You know, it is, it's not an ACL tear or anything, but if you look at Jamal Murray, for example, 
coming back from his knee injury, he still doesn't quite look as confident as he was previous to that. Um, and Cameron Johnson so far looks great. And obviously we're going to see more of him soon. We've seen two games with him playing so far. We saw but the him, other uh, thing I'll mention we s- is defensively. Yeah. He's just such a disruptor with where he is on the court for any play. And by that, I mean, he just stands in the right spot to just mess up whatever they're trying to do, whether that be way too close to a guy on the catch like he did in the Memphis game. I think it was Jaron Jackson Jr. was trying to dribble and Mikhail just got into space and just took a hit directly to the chest. Or if it was the the turnovers that he forced in the Brooklyn game, he knew where the ball was going before the ball got there and he was there before it got there in order to disrupt it. And that kind of defense, uh, it just goes unnoticed a lot of times and he's just so good at it. And, and it just... When you go without it <laughs> for so long, uh, when he's back, it just becomes so much more evident than it was before. And he's only been back for two games, and already, dude, you you can feel the defensive rating climbing back up. You can <laughs> yeah. feel the team pulling itself out of this hole that they've dug for themselves, right? Like, I I'm undecided. Should I pick on Should I pick on a player? I mean, statistically. Well, we already, I mean, just even mentioning it, I think you, people know who we're talking about, so you might as well. No, actually, I have a stat. You're thinking about DeAndre Ayton. I'll just throw it out there. No, I was thinking about Torrey Craig. Oh. We, I'm assuming you're going to talk about Torrey Craig. Torrey Craig's defensive rating is bad, and I'm glad that he's his minutes are going to be reduced, but yeah. I was pulling some last 10 game stats before this episode just to research, like, what's Mikhail averaging? What you know? What are some other guys averaging? I think I pulled up a Kogi, Damian Lee as well. Um, Dario Saric. <laughs> Has oh, had yeah, some. Yeah, yeah. He's had some good games recently, and I really I don't mean to pick on him too heavily. He's had some good games recently, um, arguably really important towards a couple of these wins that the Suns have had. Because when he's at his best, he's playing that connector role. He's he's hitting free throws. He's doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, the Suns have a 123 defensive rating with Dario on the floor <laughs> in their last 10 games. That's yeah. a stretch where they've won four of those games. They're four and six. Mm-hmm. That's not that bad. It's not like the complete disaster scenario. And Dario, through all that, is averaging like 17 minutes per game. And the defensive rating, I mean, don't get me wrong. Torrey's defensive rating is bad. Ayton's defensive rating is bad. Uh, but yeah. Dario's at another level. And, and you know, with Cam coming back, I do think there is just an element as we start to get him back. But, but also all these other guys of kind of addition by subtraction that happens as well of yeah, some yeah. of these guys who are on the outskirts of the sun's rotation are just playing way more, way too many minutes, way more than, than they're deserving of. And we're going to see a bump pretty soon. And you can even just sort of picture how it's going to look when Devin Booker is back as well, because then you, you have a starting lineup with very little flaws in it, especially offensively, you know, because as much as we've had fun, in the last seven or so games with winning four out of the last seven, they they do really well to start games and then they just kind of fall apart <laughs> towards the end of these games. Whether it be, you know, Brooklyn coming back into that game or Memphis coming back into the last win that they had. And, you know, it's just one of those things where you're watching them play where you go, oh, Devin Booker would fix all of this. <laughs> you know, you can just kind of picture, oh, they need one guy who can score when nobody else can score. And they have that guy. And he was playing at a top 10 level so far this season. And now Cameron Johnson's back. So when he comes back yeah. into the lineup, he's going to be playing with Chris Paul, 
Dev, or, you know, obviously Devin Booker's on the floor, Mikael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, and then DeAndre Ayton. And that's that's just going to look so so much better. And uh, and you can just kind of picture it. And Chris Paul is back too. Well, I'll tell Cameron you what. Johnson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's nice to get Booker back, right? It's the most important thing. But it would certainly help if Chris Paul has given you more 20-point, 10-assist performances all of a sudden like he did last night. I think it kind of came, Unbelievable. I think it kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he started to look better before this last injury where the three-point shooting was sort of coming back. But this game, I think you just saw him and he was Chris Paul again. You know, And I don't know if it's the case with Chris Paul where this is going to happen once every four or five games or something and then he'll be good. I don't think there's any really game where he was terrible. I think he takes a lot of weirdly takes a lot of flack for some reason. Um you know, on the Suns so far this season, but even when he's sort of bad by his standards, he's still pretty good as far as orchestrating the offense and playing well. But like this last game specifically against Memphis, he was incredible. And you know, you just kind of can see the you can see him getting back to what he's capable of doing. And on the season, by the way, He's up to 39% from the three-point line. I don't know if you've noticed that climb in his three-point percentage. I was going to mention, I actually didn't know where his, if you had asked me where his is, I couldn't have told you. I think I probably would have said above 35. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, the Suns are the third best three-point shooting team in the NBA by percentage. Oh my God. I I did not know that. (laughs) I pulled up this stat recently. Well, it kind of makes sense if you think about it. Like they're shooting 38% as a team, which I did not realize until I looked at it today. But then you just kind of think about all the guys who play the most minutes, and it's like, yeah, yeah. Booker shooting well this season, Bridges shooting well yeah. this season, Cam Johnson, he's Cam Johnson, Chris Paul shooting well this season, campaign, his shot was back when he was playing, uh, yeah. Damian Lee literally leading the league, and Damian in, Lee carrying the team in that stat in three <laughs> point percentage, you know, and it's like, yeah, there are guys who have struggled, Jock Landale, although even he is starting to to find his shot as of late, it's slowly creeping back up. But on the whole, has had a pretty rough shooting season. Yeah, Josh, Josh Okogi. And Josh they barely shoot. is not a shooter. But, yeah, they have the common sense, for the most part, to not shoot in the first place. Um, <laughs> even, like, Ish Wainwright, who I think we kind of, like, Ish Wainwright's one of the guys, you see a three go up, you kind of wince a little bit because you're like, oh, I don't know if I trust in that. He's shooting, like, yep. 36% from deep, which is not bad. So, you know, I there's just, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about what could happen if they get in the playoffs with that kind of variance, you know? I brought it up. They have 10 guys shooting 37 or better from the three-point line this season. Damian Lee, Saban Lee, Torrey Craig, by that the doesn't, way. I don't know mentioned. if Saban Lee counts. Yeah, he counts. <laughs> what he is plays he? What 45% is he? so far. What is he, two for four? <laughs> 1.8 per game, and he's played six games. So, you know, almost probably okay. 11. He shot 11. <laughs> uh, Torrey Craig, Mikael Bridges, Chris Paul, Cameron Johnson, Cameron Payne, Landry Shamit, Devin Booker, and Dario Saric, who, by the way, is shooting pretty well, just doesn't get a lot of opportunities to shoot, but is making a lot of threes compared to his normal rate, I think, so far this season. Yeah, but that's, that's 10 guys. And then you have Ish Wainwright, like you said, who is, he's letting it fly, by the way. Ish Wainwright is not afraid to shoot it. And Dwayne Washington Jr., who I mentioned on the playback episode, only shooting 35% on the season, but... He is shooting an absurd, an absurd percentage early in the shot clock so far this season, especially in particular on just pull-up shots his, from fast breaks where he's just running yeah. it down the court, stopping at the three-point line and launching. It's like over 50%. His transition pull-up is really freaking good. 
at the time that I looked at it, I think it was 15 for 25. There's been two games since then. It uh, just, but yeah, it just absurd. sucks because Dwayne is like, it's been interesting to watch the fact that I think Saban Lee's played really well and we've talked about it, yeah. but like yeah. Saban Lee has, he took Dwayne's spot in the point guard rotation already. And, and, he, and he deserves it, I think, because Dwayne watching is, these games. Because Dwayne is yeah. just not a point guard. But imagine if Dwayne was just like two inches, three inches taller and could be a yeah. shooting guard, like a real shooting yeah. guard. Uh, it would do so much for his career. The, the NBA is just kind of cruel like that sometimes. Because I don't know if he'll ever find the ideal landing spot to like, you know, display his skill set, which is just this weird kind of combo guard who's going to be really undersized. They There were moments that they tried both Saban and Dwayne on the court at the same time. It just doesn't work. He just doesn't. The tough part with Dwayne is he just doesn't make great decisions with the ball. And, you know, no matter what you do, and, and you, you combine that with the fact that he's like a, a an extreme negative defensively. It's just tough to, it's tough for the Suns who are trying to win games at this point to really dedicate the time it would take to develop a player like Dwayne uh, when they don't really, they can't really afford losing games at this point. He would benefit from a team that has a G League team, for example, and maybe they will. Uh, obviously, he's only signed till the end of the year, though, so we'll see what ends up happening. In fact, if the Suns want to make a spot for Saban Lee, there's a chance they actually cut Dwayne Washington Jr. and just let Saban Lee have his two-way spot. Uh, we'll see what happens there because I think Saban Lee, at the very least, if it's going to cost a lot, I think David posted it on. Twitter, it costs a lot to keep doing 10 days for Saban Lee at this point. They can afford it. Yeah, but if you're only playing Saban Lee, you're not really playing Dwayne once they start getting healthy. Do they need both of them? They can afford it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, speaking of they. They, yeah. Uh, Matt Ishbia. This is something that I wanted to talk about because I think we talked about it to start this podcast, but the three wins do sort of change your outlook because you're thinking, okay, now what if the Suns are 500 when Devin Booker's back? Now they're healthy and Devin Booker's back at 500. They can easily climb pretty high in the standings, maybe get as high as fourth or something, home court advantage in at least the first round of the playoffs. And it just changes the calculus on the season at the very least. But I think if you combine that with the report from Shamsharania that came out about a week ago after our last episode, but before the last Patreon episode, it was about the fact that the Suns, since the report on Matt Ishbia was out, the Suns have apparently made it known to teams that they are one willing to trade a pick. And he said a pick by the way, which makes me feel like it could be more than one pick. Uh, but a pick was the report and two, are willing to take on long-term money. So take on salary, not just shed salary uh, at the trade deadline. And I think it reframes it in an interesting way because now, one, the Suns are the seventh seed, so that pick is not as valuable as it was, say, two weeks ago or a week ago uh, because now you're talking about, you know, what, the 20th pick or something, the 18th, 19th pick. It's not the same as a potential lottery pick that could be pretty high. Um, and two, I think when we're talking like, for example, today, Rui Hachimura was traded. And if we're just trading Jay Crowder and we're not attaching a pick, we're not attaching anything and we're trying to take back less salary, then you could say, wow, the Suns missed out on Rui Hachimura, right? But if we're talking about a scenario where the Suns have Jay Crowder, Landry Shamit, Dario Saric, uh, at least one first round pick and a willingness 
to take back more money, we are no longer talking about players like Rui Hachimura. <laughs> and and <We're, laughs> yeah, also to be honest, I was never interested in Rui Hachimura. I, yeah, were a lot of people interested in Rui Hachimura? I don't really get that. I think people every time a trade is made or even a rumor, people panic because it's not the Suns. Do you have any? Yeah. Um, do you have any takes on that trade? It's quick, hilarious. As a quick aside, what are the Wizards doing? I'm kind of cu- I'm cool with it. I, I'm like looking around like where is all this love for Rui coming from? I don't get it. I don't like Rui that much, but they're doing it under the impression that Kuzma will sign long term. And if he does, okay, they made the right choice. But what if he doesn't? I'm just not sure it's that wise of a bet. How many second round picks do you think they, they get for Bradley Beal? If they if they blow it up like in the summer, how many are you allowed to trade? And they Can just you trade back to back second round picks, or is, is that that Steepian rule or whatever the rule is? Is that only about first round picks? It's definitely about first round picks. I don't think anyone's ever dared to try with second round picks. I just have the idea of like someone calls up like the Lakers, I don't know, or 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 the Pelicans. They call up and they say, "Here, three first round picks for for Bradley Beal," and the Wizards say, "No, we'd rather have." 15 second round picks give us every second round pick you have for for the next decade and a half because this is what we're all about yeah that franchise is they don't know they don't know what direction they're going who's the last who's the last suns player drafted with a second round pick Mm, i have no idea davon reed i'm tempted was it reed no i don't know here let me look it up yeah it might be he was literally have no idea he was 2018 2019 i don't think Jalen lequeux wasn't doesn't count no he was undrafted all right you keep talking i'll look it up okay (laughs) so that's interesting point with that trade is i don't know there was also another trade by another rumor by the way that i think it was the bucks offered three or four second round picks for eric gordon as well so you know something similar to Rui could be offered for Eric Gordon. The difference is, I think, with Eric Gordon is getting up to that level of salary, what you would need to trade in order to get Eric Gordon. Most teams can't really do without impacting their rotation. The Suns can do that, so there is something to be said there if it comes down to just at least getting rid of the salary that expires at the end of the year for somebody like Eric Gordon. They can do that. Wait, did he play for us? I can't even remember. (laughs) Yeah, the last, okay, the last second-round pick who suited up as a member of the Phoenix Suns, who was drafted by the Suns and suited up with us, was George King, 59th oh, yeah. overall pick in 2018. He played six <laughs> He played six minutes in one game for the Suns. Okay. Is George King in, like, the pictures with Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton? He might be. <laughs> it was the two of them, and uh, Elliot Kobo was in that draft as well. So I remember George King being in those. Actually, photos. I remember funny. I remember the media day photo of DeAndre and Mikhail Bridges and Elia Kobo is there, too. I remember that. one. I remember Elia Kobo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that the Suns value second round picks under James Jones. That's what we'll say. Well, OK. So Elia Kobo, I guess I, I, I am cheating here. Elia Kobo was 31st overall. OK. He so felt he felt like a first round pick for some reason. He felt like late yeah. first, but he was 31st. That counts. Technically. Counts. That counts. Uh, we'll see if the Suns end up putting, you know, assets like that. I don't think they care at all about putting second round picks. But the the report is one, and I mentioned by the way the report saying one first round pick. Often when you say one first round pick is available, you're putting pressure on teams to ask for one, right? But you're kind of probably thinking maybe two <laughs> could be traded at that point for the right player, you know? Because you're saying one, 
nobody ever starts with their limit, right? When they say their first offer, right? They maybe their limit is a little bit higher than that. And if we're talking, you know, the salary, expiring salary, Jay Crowder, multiple first round picks for players, you're talking about going star shopping. You know, that's the kind of offer you would make for somebody like OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam or something like that. Whether or not they are available is different. You know, another guy, John Collins, not saying the Suns are even interested in him, but I'm talking about a trade package that is more like that than other things. And there are even guys like Boyan Bogdanovich. Supposedly, they want a first-round pick. They've, I've heard the rumor they want two, but they're only going to get one. But, you know, that the Suns have one pick on the table. They could probably get Boyan Bogdanovich. Other teams selling players off right now, supposedly the Jazz. You know, I don't know what you would necessarily do if you put one first round pick on the table for the jazz, I know they want like 50 at all times, but you know, the Suns have been tied to players like Jared Vanderbilt. And if you're putting a pick on the table, maybe you can get Jared Vanderbilt and something, <laughs> assuming they're actually going to get rid of players like that. At Clarkson the or yeah, I don't Clarkson know. or I've mentioned Kelly Olynyk on a previous podcast. I'm not sure the Suns would be interested in him necessarily, but it's just a player that is a good player that the jazz really have no need for. Um, Jay Crowder, one hour ago on Twitter. <laughs> hourglass, alarm clock, hourglass. All in emojis. He tweeted the hourglass emoji, a clock emoji, and another hourglass emoji. Would you like to give a reaction? Um, First reaction. I didn't know that there were two different hourglass emojis. That's a good point, one. actually. There's one at the top of the, of the, the cycle. sand at the top. Yep. And then one with the sand at the bottom. He's putting I didn't know that. He's putting the pressure on. He really is. He's doing what he can do to go out and face the public. Uh, I already quoted this and told him to go fuck off. And <laughs> I, I would like to know if he sees it or not. But I think this is the longest he's had a tweet up without deleting it in months. So maybe something actually is close. You know, I think this is probably more than anything just a reaction to a trade actually happening today. So, you know, it did feel like at a certain point of sort of the trade deadline coming, which is still two and a half weeks away, um, there is sort of the first trade that kicks it all off. He and, has to be so bored. one of them. I would just think yeah. that he's when yeah. you're used to that grind of a normal NBA schedule and then you just spend five months doing nothing, yeah. <laughs> by contrast, you know, you you just have to be bored. I would love to know what his day-to-day -day is right now. When does he wake up? What was... When does he go to bed? <laughs> like, I just, I want to know all of it. I want a private investigator on the case. What, how do you feel about the Suns putting a, a first round pick on the table, potentially? Yeah, I'm cool with it. I, I'm just kind of not budging. What's your limit on that? <sighs> like, would you do it for DeAndre Hunter, for yeah, example? That's, well, that's what I was going to say is I, I don't want to budge off my original position of making a completely boneheaded move that doesn't, uh, th these non needle moving moves. Yeah. You know, it's just, I, I, I continue to want, I, I, I guess it's, it's cool. If we're now moving from the territory of there was that week where we thought we were sellers. Who knows? By the way, guys, maybe we lose three or four or five straight and Booker is not back yet and we become sellers again. It's still entirely possible. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. we, we could be here. We're fickle. We yeah. could be here before you a week or two from now advocating for the Suns to, to be sellers again. I think it's totally reasonable if 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 they lose a bunch of games in a row. Um, but at least for now, it's nice to be buyers. It's just don't buy something stupid don't buy deandre hunter don't buy john collins 
what are you going to do with fucking respectfully mike kelly olenic i I don't really get as you know if that's i mean i like jared vanderbilt like part of me is like maybe i would give up a first for jared vanderbilt like if that's the case but then you have you need more yeah than than jared vanderbilt i think and and that's when you it actually it's it's tough to i guess you could say that jordan clarkson would be on the table there does anybody else interest you from that roster at all besides the guys that they're clearly not going to trade no that's basically it yeah it's like we're talking about Taylor Horton Tucker and Rudy Gay (laughs) at that point like I mean obviously Mike Conley's there but you know Colin Sexton um not a huge fan of Sexton's I mean yeah I'm not a huge fan of Sexton's game well the other part we have to mention just as it pertains to the trade deadline, what's going on with campaign? Well, what is do you mean? Like I mean, I think hurt, hurt. <laughs> he definitely is. I mean, he had a boot on his on his foot. Does, Does he have a broken bone in his foot? I think he. I, guess I think he probably I'm, I'm has. Get. Yeah, I think he has a fracture of some sort, and the Suns just never wanted to say it. And so when we're talking about trades, they might have to solve the backup guard problem well, more no. than we thought they should before. I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't back by the playoffs. I don't think Does it's Does that I don't think it's give that you serious. confidence in that, though? I don't know. He was playing really well, I thought, before. And, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. He started, the games he started, he was good. We'll see what say. happens with Saban Lee in a week. Could Saban Lee be your backup <laughs> point future. guard going into the playoffs? Mikael Bridges is <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, or knowing Monty, knowing Monty, if everyone's healthy, he'll put Landry Shamet there. Okay, what about a first round pick for Boyan? How would you feel about that? Is that something that would make you unhappy? I mean, I think Boyan in a vacuum is worth a first round pick for sure. I just don't know if I want. Ask me again in a week. Is that a cop out? What about Eric Gordon? What about Eric Gordon? No, that's that's bullshit. I don't want Yeah, that Eric feels Gordon. like too much, right? That's I'm bullshit. just trying to find the line somewhere in Boyan here, at least know? Boyan at least is big. He's not a good defender, but maybe he can defend like earnestly <laughs> in the playoffs, you know, maybe maybe he can be there. I'm just I don't want guys who are complete black holes and and then also give you nothing on defense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening because, like, by all reports and by all accounts, the Suns are out there. They're not doing nothing right now. And, you know, at the very least, at the very least, Jay Crowder is going to be moved. But if they start putting other assets on the table and the Suns start playing better and it makes sense to put other assets on the table, they could really improve at the trade deadline. And they can improve in ways I think that we can't even expect because we're talking about, first of all, everyone we've mentioned is better than Rui Hachimura, (laughs) whether it be Jared Vanderbilt, Eric Gordon, or Boyan Bogdanovich as options that are just out there. Those are all good players that could actually be good rotation players in the playoffs for the Suns, assuming the Suns end up making a trade. And they have these assets out there. The reports are out there. Someone is playing the media game, whether it be other teams trying to get more out of the Suns or whether it be, I don't know, James Jones or somebody with the Suns trying to play it to their advantage, but someone is playing that game right now. So we can expect something is going to happen soon. And I'm pretty much, I'm all on board with trying to figure out ways to improve this team. I was teetering on the fence for a while there, trying to predict what ends up happening, but three wins will have that effect on you. Uh, But we'll see what ends up happening. We have what one episode between 
now or maybe two episodes between now and the trade deadline. One we'll do we'll do one main feed next week and then the week after I don't even know how we're going to plan it. We might have to we might have to do like a trade deadline like an episode a few days a normal episode Before, and, yeah. yeah and then also a trade deadline special. I I I don't know how we're going to do it, but we'll react to the news as it comes in for sure. And I'm sure we will hear hear more rumors. Jay Crowder for Cam Reddish and eight second round picks. Where is it? <laughs> it's they coming. got a lot of firsts. We got to get one. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> There's, you know, I wouldn't be. I don't know that it's possible, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns were involved in a three team trade, a rare three team trade coming up to uh, the trade deadline. But uh, yeah, that's all I got. You got anything else before we go on this one? No, that's that's it for me. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like to once again join. Our Patreon, you can join at patreon.com slash the timeline. Extra episodes every week for $6 a month. You can join our Discord for $3 a month. But thank you, everyone, for listening back with a Patreon episode midweek. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.